Hello, this is episode 240 and in it I'm continuing my conversation with Hamish White from Sanctum Homes, a Melbourne-based building business specialising in passive house, sustainable and high-performance homes. Now, if you haven't listened to the last episode and heard part one of my conversation with Hamish, be sure to check that out first. You can head to episode 239 wherever you're listening to this podcast or go to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 239. That's the numbers 239. You can access the episode and also a free downloadable uh, transcript. That's a PDF. And then you can come back and join us here for part two. Now, in this second part of my chat with Hamish, we kick off right where we left off. I know I cut you off very quickly last time, but we wanted uh, we wanted to give enough time to be able to speak about all of this information. And so we do talk more about sustainable building and especially about building with hempcrete. That's actually where this episode starts. Hamish has got loads of learnings to share based on a current project that he's building right now. And um, it's really fascinating to hear how hempcrete works and what to know about it. We also go through some of the important must-haves in a sustainable build, particularly if you're in a similar climate zone to where Sanctum Homes builds. Uh, It's going to be really helpful for you. And we also talk more about Builders Declare as well. Now, remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 240. That's the numbers 240. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Now, before we dive in, let me take a minute to remind you about Hamish. 
uh, before I jump into part two of my conversation with him. So Hamish White is a registered builder and director of Sanctum Homes and he's also a founding member of Builders Declare which you'll hear more about in this episode. Sanctum Homes take a collaborative approach working with you to create an innovative space tailor-made to your needs. They build, extend and renovate beautiful, high-performing, energy-efficient homes and they also specialise in awesome relationships with their clients, architects, designers, trades, suppliers and their own team. Sanctum Homes are Passive House Certified Tradespersons, HAA Green Smart Professionals and they're based in Warrandyte, Victoria. I've got to know Hamish via an initial connection that we made over social media. Uh, I really love Sanctum Homes' Instagram account. I suggest you check it out. It's got loads of great uh, information and education on building sustainably. They really um, do take an educational approach with the posts that they put up. And I've also attended several of the Builders Declare webinars that Hamish hosts as part of his role with Builders Declare, or I've watched them on the YouTube channel as well. And you'll hear Hamish talk about uh, hosting these in this episode. Earlier this year as well, Hamish actually started working with us in Live Life Build as a member of our group coaching and mastermind program Elevate that we have for builders to help them improve their projects, business and life. So I have got to know Hamish much better through that as well. Now, let me remind you, you can download a free PDF transcript of this episode and links to all the resources that we mentioned by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 240. That's the numbers 240. We literally just jump into part two as I ask Hamish to talk with me about hempcrete. It's a, it's a, it's a straight continuation. You will have heard me cut things off just before we finished up part one. So this part two, we dive straight in. We talk about hempcrete and what Hamish has been learning about it from his experience on a current project that he's working on. Obviously, you're doing this hempcrete uh, home, aiming for it to be the first hempcrete passive house, which is a, would be an, an incredible achievement, but obviously it is causing you a lot of um, challenges at the moment. I've still got my hair though. so that's Yeah, you're still doing well. You've got a lot of hair to lose though. So. <laughs> 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 Lucky it's blonde though. So what is the what are your top tips? Like what are you learning in terms of working with hempcrete? We will get... Um, we will get the hemp building company on the podcast to talk in more detail about, about hemp generally, but for you as a builder, who's working with it right now, what are you learning about it? And what are your top tips that homeowners really need to consider when it comes to building with hemp creep, particularly if they're wanting to do something like a passive house? So firstly, I, when these clients first approached us three years ago, I was trying to convince them to build it out of SIPs because I knew (laughs) the shape of the building Uh, was just lending itself to um, be a really successful SIP project. But hats off to my client. Nelson was absolutely adamant that he wanted a hempcrete passive house. Um, I managed to get a little bit of a win because we've got a SIP roof on it. Um, (laughs) So, in fact, this particular project's got some really great different products. We've actually used some of um, Life Panel. We've we've got some Staco wood fibre on there as well. Um, which performs very similar to, to hemp from a um, density and acoustic and thermal performance point of view. But the, what are my uh, learnings about hemp? So many. That a house like this, to if it, even if it wasn't hemp, would be complex to get to passive house standard just generally, just the way that the house is designed. Um, it's on a sloping block. 
where the top half actually overhangs the bottom half a little bit. So there's a whole bunch of design details we really need to, to, to nut out. And I know Joe was challenged with his installation because we wanted to install our windows first, whereas in a typical hemp home, the windows are going in afterwards. So we just for, from an air tightness point of view, we wanted to try and manage that air tightness a little bit more. So we um, installed the windows first and invented a whole bunch of uh, air tightness details, which for the most part have been quite successful. Some haven't been, and I'll be brutally honest about that because we didn't have any reference point for it. My biggest takeaways were, one, it's an amazing product to use from a thermal performance point of view. Being in the home just feels different than a typical stud frame filled with insulation or even a SIP home. It's a lot quieter. The walls are 300 mil thick. And maybe I'll just quickly talk on about quickly how they're put together. You've got a typical stud frame in structural frame in the middle. So I guess the bones of the home is, is reasonably standard. Um, you've then got 300 mil wide of hemp that's packed in around the frame. Uh, and in this particular home, we've got, I think at 120 mil outside of 90 mil inside and with 90 mil in the middle, make up 300. That changes a little bit depending on our external claddings um, throughout the house or around the house. And you, sorry, you've set up that 300 with a form, haven't you? So, and then it's top filled and compacted down. Is that the way that it's worked? Yep. Yeah. So, so think about rammed earth. The major difference between rammed earth and hemp, or well, one one's using dirt and the other one's using hemp, but rammed earth is really compacted. It's you use a a, um, a pneumatic um, compactor and you're really jamming that in whereas with the hemp you actually want to keep the air and keep it all fluffy so and again this is all new to us because um, that helps with the thermal performance of it doesn't it yeah so it's it's really really lightly tamped with this really cool like hand homemade bit of timber and <laughs> it's like a little club yeah. Um, there's some pictures on our Instagram page if people want to check it out. And yet it's just really lightly packed in, like super, super lightly. And then the middle of it actually remains all fluffy. So we've got this, you know, 300 wide big bit of insulation, which um, we're relying on for our um, bit of thermal mass, acoustics, and obviously our insulation. I think the, the studies show or the modelling shows that the 300 wide wall gets an R4. Um, although Joe is convinced that it's a lot higher than that. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would think that it is. It's hard though because the be. modelling doesn't really work for it, does it? And I think I remember you saying that when you ran the thermal imaging camera over it, you couldn't get over how there were just the there was nothing reading on the thermal imaging camera in terms of any breaks or anything like that in it. It, it was amazing. So we had Anthony from Outlier come out um, with his thermal imaging camera and um he has thermal image a lot of properties and he could not get over how stable the temperature was in the in the wall no thermal bridges like zero thermal bridges we had another wall on another part of the building which was the same r value so the wall build up the wall um, assembly was the same r value uh, but we had a 90 mil frame, R2.7, and then 60 mil, 120 mil of life panel externally. So that gave us our 
our uh, R value. But we shot the thermal imaging camera over that particular wall and all the studs were thermal bridges. Wow. Even, even though it was protected externally, they were still showing up as different temperatures in the wall. Now, how that would change when the house has been lived in, I'm not too sure. But on the day, you, there was just a massive difference between the two and it just really showed how the walls, how the hemp wall performs. Incredible. That's amazing. And so the reason that you're struggling with getting it below the point zero, there's 0.6 air changes per hour, is that to do with the difficulty in creating those thermal seals around window openings and those kinds of things? That there's just not uh, conventional detailing to be able to adopt that? Yeah, yeah. So if we look at how we're getting our air tightness on a normal stud frame, if we're using a, we use a product called Intello, it's a ProClima product, um, and that's taped to the or taped and glued to the floor and ceiling and then it's all taped into your windows so we're creating a completely airtight barrier whereas with the hempcrete um, we're relying on the lime render to create that airtightness now we obviously had no reference point or no one to call on to see whether or not this was actually working um, we were just going through advice from the certifier or our, our passive house consultant on the project and I guess anecdotal evidence from other people who have built air tight homes using hemp so many amazing learnings that we discovered when we had the blower door on now I guess should I touch on what a blower door does probably Oh, we've talked about a blower door on the podcast before. So, um, yeah, so if you haven't, if you're not aware of what a blower door is, check out the Passive House episodes that I did a couple of years ago. I'll link them up in the resources um, because they'll explain what the Passive House modelling program is. Uh, they'll give you a lot more information about Passive House generally and also the blower door test. But the main thing with the blower door is that you obviously seal up the house, you push air through it, and then you start to, you can then see where air is leaking in the home. And I'm seeing more and more homeowners just include this now as a standard thing in conventionally construction, constructed homes, having that blower door test. We're obviously seeing a lot more people doing blower door tests. I remember speaking to Jenny Edwards from Lighthouse Architecture and Science uh, on the podcast um, oh, quite some time ago and she bought a blower door to do blower door tests with and she, I think she was the first person in Canberra to kind of own one. She imported one from overseas. So it's, um, yeah, so it's, uh, for you, you obviously, I remember when you were about to test the house and then found that it obviously wasn't meeting. What did you find in terms of that whole blower door test experience? Uh, well, there was a lot of there was a lot of self discovery there, Amelia. Do that right. <laughs> In terms of your own resilience. <laughs> so, uh, do you know what? Uh, looking back on it now, um, the ho that whole experience, or well, the ongoing experience, is pretty amazing. One um, that we're learning so much about how a building can leak or where air can come out. We actually found that um, the floor was leaking. The chipboard floor was actually leaking, which. Wow. I, I was crawling around, like literally crawling around on my hands and knees trying to find holes. And I, I, I just could feel air and I couldn't put my finger on it or back of your hand on it because when you depressurize a house, it sucks air in and you can actually feel it on the back of your hand where these air leakages are. So it's pretty incredible. So if you get a chance to it, it's, you, it really makes you question now National Construction Code, but that's a whole other story. 
we actually taped a bit of our external membrane to the floor um, in two areas. So we did two test areas, one where we taped and, and glued all the nail holes and joins, and then the other one where we didn't. And both uh, areas blew up like a big four jumping castle thing. Wow. Like it was incredible. Um, now, we don't know. Like they inflated? Is that what you mean? They inflated, yeah. Yeah. They inflated. So it's pulling air through the floor. So we ended up just waterproofing the whole floor in, in consolidation with our floor guy um, to make sure that the glues weren't reacting um, with the waterproofing and put down. And that just sealed all the pores in the floor. Um, one of the things, like, so, so we went from 0.75 to 0 0.67, 0 0.68 pretty consistently by doing that. Um, and then the only other thing that we couldn't really test was um, how the lime render, which wasn't completely finished yet, we couldn't test how that was performing. Um, and we could only think that it was still sucking through there. And look, by the time this podcast goes to air, we're going to know because um, we're going to be testing it this week. Oh, well, I'll have to touch base with you and find out about that. So that sounds, I, I'll keep all my fingers crossed for you. Well, so. I'll, turn phone, I'll turn my phone off and I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Look, either, either way, like if I'm being, um, you know, honest with myself, I mean, I am gutted that we're not there right now, but also so incredibly proud of myself and the whole team who's been involved in this project from day one, um, especially the clients and the designer. Like getting it to 0.67 is still a certifiable building from Passive House International. Um, and would we notice the difference if we were down at 0.6? Absolutely not. No, there's, there's no difference that we would feel. It, it is that 0 0.7, 0 0.07 is all about ego at the moment. <laughs> I'm glad that you're being honest with yourself about that. It's very self-aware of you, Hamish. Oh, no. No. We've had this, I've had these conversations with the client. So, we're, so yeah. And, and look, the, the approach that we've taken with this home, like we've got floors down, tiling going down, plaster on the walls. Like in a normal home, we would not have done that. Um, we would have tried to find the leaks first. But with the sequencing and the plaster and the rendering where they, they've met on internal junctions and stuff like that, we actually needed the plaster to go on first. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're reasonably confident that everywhere else in the house has been checked except the lime render. So yeah, we'll, um, we'll yeah, see. I reckon your gut's right. I reckon it's probably the lime render as well, just given the, the properties of that, of that product. So yeah. it'll be interesting. So what, yeah. what, what will be interesting though, is that the finish is a lime is it's just a finer lime render finish. Mm -hmm. um, and again, probably just to circle back on the, the characteristics of hemp, like we actually, like the, the hemp is, is allows vapour to move through. So it's breathable um, wall assembly, which is one of the really amazing features, features, features is probably not the quite word, but um, characteristics of hemp, um, that it does breathe and it does continue to, to sequester carbon because it does breathe throughout the life of the tome. Um, so we can't go and put an acrylic render on the wall, internal or externally, because it just, we may as well not have hemp in there. So, you know, we know that there is a solution there, but we don't want to go down that path because we want to stay true to the fact that we're trying to build a, you know, a hemp-crete home um, that's meant to perform the way it's designed. 
Yeah. And as you say, the the differences become so minuscule that they actually won't be felt um, in the everyday experience of the home. So, which is the very reason that the homeowners probably invested, you know, they've, it's meeting their core values in terms of the sustainability metrics and those kinds of things. And then family will be comfortable as well. So. And look, and, and this is just, an, it's, it's been an amazing journey for everyone. I mean, you know, if we circle back to our pre-construction or pack process, like we develop these relationships uh, pre-construction. So when there are stressful times on site and variations come up or we have situations like this, you know, everyone's got the project, the success of the project at the forefront of their mind. So we just work collaboratively to try and find a solution. So Nelson and myself, I think, are at peace with it might not get there, but we also know that we've tried absolutely everything to get there. Um, and we still have a great, like I go mountain bike riding with him. So <laughs> relationship's great. That's awesome. Now your Instagram, which you touched on and I mentioned before, it is a really great source of education around high-performance homes. And um, there are some uh, non-negotiables that you, you seem to incorporate at Sanctum Homes as part of achieving high-performance homes that are particular to your climate zone. So obviously southern, you know, the south of Australia, Victoria, those kinds of things are a different climate zone to other parts of Australia but have um, specific requirements in terms of ensuring that the homes stay warm in winter and also then can handle those very high heat um, summer days as well. So, you know, going through your Instagram, I, I've summarised out some of the ones that I think are probably your non-negotiables, and I'd love you just to touch on a couple of these. So the blower door tests, which we've got, do you do those as a standard across all of your projects? Do you always incorporate a blower door test? Yeah, so we'll do two, pre-plaster and then at the end. Yep. Awesome, okay. And, and what we're actually going to buy our own soon too, and for our renovation projects, we're actually going to want to do one at the beginning to show how badly performing our current home stock is uh, and then show our clients through actual testing how much better they're performing. Yeah, well, I'm finding that a fair few of my home method members are doing that actually. They're getting a, a blower door test done and they're also getting a NatHERS assessment done prior to the renovation so that they can start to see what are they actually needing to elevate their home from um, so that they can make some data-driven decisions on the existing house and also understand the air, the air changes per hour that they're working with. So it's really great before you start barreling into making assumptions about, you know, how poor performing your existing house is or the expectations that you might have that might be difficult to achieve based on the conditions that you're working with. So I think it's great that you're going to start incorporating that. So now you've also got water resistant barriers. So you did have got this great demo that you did that showed what it was like pouring water over a roof with the water resistant barriers on it, even before any of the roof um, sheeting has gone down. So obviously your priority is to make the building skin without those, those additional layers, the, the thing that's actually water resistant, but still vapor permeable. So is that something that you're doing more and more across um, projects as well? Is it something that you generally aim to do, all of them? All, all our projects, um, and if I can just make one slight correction, it's actually weather-resistant barriers, but yep. same, 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 same. It's still keeping, essentially we're trying to keep our um, building fabric nice and dry. So the, the, pro, the, the products that we use are ProClimber products, just because we feel they're the best on the market, you know, this is not a sponsored announcement or anything like that. They just, they happen to be the the, the best um, products out there. All of our projects are wrapped top to bottom 
in um, in these uh, in these um, I'll call it insurance policy. Really, like if if and when it's not, it's not a matter of if if cladding will fail, it's when cladding will fail. Moisture will get in there, and you know whether it's dry rot, uh, whether it's mold issues within that frame. These weather resistant barrier barriers are such an amazing insurance policy for builder and client. Uh, and so many more benefits like speed of construction and, and ensuring that, you know, if it does start to rain and your roof's not on, you know, things are staying dry and you can keep going. But just for the life of the building and the thermal comfort of the home, if you think about these WRBs or weather-resistant barriers as a, as a nice big Gore-Tex jacket that you wrap the building in, I know James from Life Panel talks about it as well. It seems to be common terminology that we use. Um, they actually allow moisture to come out but stop any moisture going in. Um, and if you think about it simply like this, if you're on the beach and you're wearing a jumper and there's no wind blowing, you're probably going to be quite warm. Um, but as soon as it starts blowing, um, that wind's going to go straight through your jumper or insulation in your walls. If you put a jacket over the top of it, a Gore-Tex jacket over the top of it, the insulation inside that wall assembly is going to perform how it wants to perform. There's no air, you know, racing through it. Yeah, I, I remember when I was in the States and I was quite surprised. I mean, this is how they've been building there for ages. They don't rely on the cladding to be the line of, of waterproofing or weatherproofing. They rely on what's behind it. And I remember having conversations with architectural colleagues over there saying, no, that's not, you know, every, everything relies on the cladding of a home in Australia. So it's so great that this is actually now what people are considering when they um, when they construct and getting this right. So um, you do double. And, and vent that ventilated cavity as well yeah 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 so the that yeah so the moisture gets to to the cavity and can dry out so yeah yeah I mean that it's it's interesting because I think that you've got to remember and as James touched on in those life panel um, episodes you've got to think of this as a system it's it, you can't just get one of these to work because you generally are going to have then this domino effect of creating a problem and just changing where the problem actually occurs rather than you've got to think of this as a system um, because if you are creating a weather-resistant um, skin that allows uh, moisture out but doesn't allow moisture in, you've still got to allow the moisture that does hit it to go somewhere and not sit and cause rot and those kinds of things. So having that cavity becomes really important. So, And your, 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 roof, your roof sheets, you know, they're going to condensate. There's going to be condensation on the underside of the roof sheets. I don't know if your listeners have seen that particular video that we put up, but we literally poured a whole bucket of water over the roof and, you know, no leaks inside. If you think about the condensation or the moisture that actually gets onto that WRB once it's fit, the project's finished is quite small, but you still want to make sure that this still has an opportunity to, to, for that to dry out. So we would do a minimum of a 25 mil cavity batten uh, and there'll be uh, an opportunity for, for air to get up from the bottom and then out at the top. Uh, and that detail can look a number of different ways depending on the cladding that you're putting on there. And we just know that though that wall assembly is going to remain dry and free of moisture for the life of the building. And it, and it can only be a positive for the inhabitants and also that structure. Awesome. No, it's a, it's great. And I will link up the, the Instagram post that we're discussing in the resources as well so people can see that demonstration. So it was very cool. So um, now you've got double and triple glazed windows as well, insulation to walls, ceiling and underfloor, and then you also uncouple your slabs. So can you explain what uncoupling your slabs actually means and why you do it? 
Yeah, so the first point I'm going to make is that an uncoupled slab is not for every climate. So where we are in Victoria, our, at a certain depth, I think it's at 900, we have a pretty stable ground temperature of around 16 degrees. Now, if we think about the internal environment in a passive house, we want to try and get that at 22 to 25 or keep it at 22 to 25. If we have direct contact or thermal bridge from a 16 degree temperature ground, and that's obviously feeding it, that heat energy is coming into the home, we're going to have a, a, a lot of trouble trying to help regulate that temperature in the home. If you look at the properties of concrete to great thermal mass. So if we can uncouple that slab from the ground, we can then utilize that mass inside, the thermal mass inside to help regulate the temperature. Now I can 100% attest to this because I was walking around our friend's house just two days ago with bare feet and it was beautiful and warm. And there's no hydronic heating in there. The, the slab is nice to, to, to walk on. So how we would do this. So we would pour all our footings first and they would essentially be designed as strip footings. So just the structural design is a little bit different to a normal um, beam. Typically you'd have two layers of trench mesh top and bottom. We would pour all that to a, to a, to a to, to level. We would then fill our sand pads in between. So that's a whole beautiful big um, level playing field with our structural elements connecting it to the ground. We'll then put 75 mil of XBS foam. Now that could be 50, it could be 100, depending on the climate conditions and the modelling and the PHPP. We'll put that down over the whole lot. We'll then put our plastic down, steel down, and then we'll actually drill starter bars into the footings and then we'll crank them uh, to connect the top slab, the topping slab, the structural topping slab into the footings. So if you imagine that, we've completely uncoupled that structural slab from the ground. Uh, and of course, we're insulating the side of the slab as well. So that's all, you know, sits in a beautiful, well-insulated little pocket. Do you have any issue with the thermal bridge of that rod? I mean, you have to connect the slab to its footing somehow, but do you have any issue? How do you manage the thermal bridging that's occurring down into it's the footing? All, it's all modelled. Yeah. It's all modelled. So, so Passive House does allow for some thermal bridging. But, you know, obviously the, the least that we can have in a building, the better. For And I'll use an example of this project that we're building at the moment. Um, I wanted to see what impact insulating um, the bottom and receiver plate of the SIPs had on the performance of the building. So I got the designer to model that thermal bridge the whole way around the building. And we went from 14.3 kilowatt hours to 14.4 kilowatt hours. So you can actually have some thermal bridging. We just want to make sure that we're managing it. Well, we're trying to design them out, but we're also acknowledging that you're going to have to have some. Um, so those thermal bridgings into the footings have all been modelled. Awesome. No, thank you for taking us through that. That's really great. And I think that it, it is definitely worthwhile considering just that indication of what is the ground temperature in your climate can become a pretty good decider for you about whether you want to link your slab to it or whether you and benefit from it or whether you you know somewhere like Queensland for example where that ground temperature actually is hugely beneficial because it's so much more stable than the outside air um, I've lived on you know a slab on ground in Brisbane and that 
um, slab on ground was just the same temperature year round and was fantastic for both summer and winter. But as you say, in colder climates where the ground temperature is colder than what you want the indoor air to be, even in summer, you know, uncoupling it becomes really critical. So you also do heat recovery ventilation systems, which you went through before, which is awesome. And then heat pump hot water systems, um, which Jeremy gave us a really good rundown on our um, episodes here with uh, him and talking about positive footprints. So is there anything, have I missed anything? Is there anything that you you do as a standard? You're, you mentioned the PHPP modeling always gets done. You know, this sort of, it's a great kit of parts in terms of thinking, okay, am I building, if I'm building in a cooler, cooler climate, this is a great kit of parts to look at what high performance homes could in, include. Is there anything I've missed? So just one of the other things, and this is probably, um, I guess, our philosophy in Sanctum Homes is we try and make all our projects all electrical, all electric, sorry. So we're, you know, cutting the gas Yay. off the, at, the, at the boundary and, um, you know, touching, you touch, touch on heat, heat pumps before. You know, we, we typically use a reclaimed CO2 heat pump, um, which uses almost zero energy and is really quick to heat up and, you know, if you've got a PV system on your roof, um, solar panels on your roof, then, you know, you, you set that heating cycle to, you know, the higher um, solar times of the day. If you want to, you know, double down on it, throw some batteries in there so you can be running completely off grid even at night time. But yeah, so we, we, as a general rule of thumb, we're, we're cutting, the, cutting the gas off. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's... Um... That's my preferred thing too, as well. So it's uh, great to hear that you're doing that and educating clients about that. So the the the, the, the cooking is just seems to be a bit of a sticking point. I know it's really interesting. People are very attached to whether they like gas or induction. I've had induction now for oh gosh, probably about thirteen or fourteen years, and I would never go. Just the cleaning comparison of induction to gas, and then also the control. It's just, but yeah, you do have people who are very passionate about cooking with gas, and then also people want. People want an open fireplace. They then realise that an open fireplace isn't the way to go, so they then look at a gas heater of some sort. We do have a very strong attachment to this idea of seeing a flame. I think so, which you you know you don't necessarily get with electric. So it's um, yeah, it's very primal. I think uh, uh, people's attachment to seeing flames. So it's always, when people start talking about a fireplace inside, it's always a good introduction to uh, my wife's boss and start talking about a nice big fire pit outside in the in the overall landscape design sitting around (laughs) rugged up with a glass of wine and some cheese over an open fire Uh, because in our passive we can't have a open fire in a passive house well certainly it it won't light because of the oxygen that it uses um, and you just overheat the house really quickly yeah and I think um, I think it's Elon Musk said that open fireplaces are basically barbecues for lungs. So it's, um, <laughs> it's definitely um, worth, worth looking. If you're going to go to the effort of creating a thermally comfortable home that you, um, the fireplace just becomes for show anyway. So it's, uh, it's definitely worth um, thinking about alternatives. So now before I let, let you go, I would love for you to just take a little bit of time to tell us about Builders Declare. So Builders Declare, I mentioned in the intro, fantastic, fantastic collection um, of builders who are committed to to ensuring that their businesses uh, are creating climate sensitive homes, that, you know, that uh, we have a climate emergency and are wanting to adopt business practices and uh, construction methodologies that really contend with this. 
how, you're one of the founding members. So how did that come to be? How did how did that you know sort of end up? And what was sort of the driving force for you? And and how did Builders Declare sort of come about? I feel the timing of it was. I don't think serendipitous is the word, but maybe it is. It was just after the New South Wales bushfires where we actually, we almost lost our family beach house in Batemans Bay. And uh, it was, you know, if everyone cast their memory back there, it was just catastrophic. And obviously at that time, we didn't have any leadership in the in our country that was doing anything about climate change. And this whole movement of architects declare um, came about and, that was all a little bit sort of a exclusive club, which didn't allow anybody else to, to be involved in. As can be the way with architects, unfortunately. Uh, no, no, no comment. Um, and there were some builders that I followed quite closely. I think we all followed each other. I think there was a, someone did a post. I think it might have been Simon from Sustainable Homes Melbourne. Um, he put a, put a post on about, you know, we really should get a builders declare happening. And I jumped in and said, absolutely, this sounds great. And then there was a few, there was about 10 of us at the beginning, a couple left, a couple came on and all of us decided that we really wanted to, you know, try and drive this. And, and we started to get more, you know, people signing up and pledging that there's a climate emergency. We, we got a little bit serious and incorporated a business, um, which we're at some point going to turn for not for profit or social enterprise. And we're really now, after a couple of years, starting to see some really great traction and, and particularly at first, your HIA and your master builders were, didn't give us the time of day. They sort of now are sort of pricking our, their ears up and acknowledging that we've actually done something. In a nutshell, our mission is to uh, help educate other builders on how to build low-carbon, sustainable homes, which are comfortable to live in. Now, they don't have to specifically be passive house. Um, I know Jeremy's not a passive house builder. Um, Simon is not either. Um, there are a few few of us that are, um, but we're not wholly and solely, you know, preaching passive house. We're just about how we can build better homes which are healthier and more sensitive to the environment, um, that the building materials that we're using are considered. Um, we're now putting out, we have been putting out webinars for, 18 months now and I host them um, and we've had a few really great guests come on um, they've shared their knowledge uh, and we also put out a podcast called the sustainable builders yak and that's free to access for anyone who wants to go and listen to it um, we do have some ambitious goals for builders declare um, although like everything it is a bit slow because we all run busy building companies but you know, we're, we're just sort of, we're taking it one day at a time at the moment and working towards getting a, a new website up, which we're hoping is going to become a, a, an information hub for other builders and trades and homeowners and architects and whoever wants to come along to, to get any information off there. And we'd love, love to do some collaborations with other people about around education moving forward as well. So maybe there's an opportunity with Sanctum Homes and Undercover Architect down the, down the track to you know, help spread the good word around building better buildings. Yeah, I think it's fantastic that you've all um, you've all decided that enough is enough and combined forces to create this this platform. And I know that the webinars, I've attended quite a few of the webinars, they're obviously available on YouTube. I'll link that up in the resources as well. 
I've shared them quite a few times because I know there's um, subject matter there that homeowners are introduced uh, that are interested in and the undercover architect community in particular is super savvy wanting to be really informed and uh, loves being able to get these industry insights into really good quality information about the things that they're interested in for their projects so I'm really grateful that you've banded together and that you're doing this work and yeah, the sustainable builders, Yak, I've, I listen to that podcast quite regularly as well. So I always love Great, isn't it? hearing, love um, <laughs> yeah, hearing the different um, people that get brought on board and, and the different conversations and particularly hearing about it from a builder's point of view is always really great, both for helping homeowners and also through the work that we do in live life build. So just seeing, you know, what builders are contending with in trying to incorporate these things. So much of what we do in Australian residential construction, we, if you you almost feel as a, as a person who prioritises sustainability that you kind of have to fight against the building regulations, that the building regulations are almost working against you to try and achieve these things that can, you know, that are not experimental in loads of other places around the world, but are still such early adoption in so many locations um, and, and projects here. So I'm really excited and I feel like there's um, there's a momentum that's definitely been building and uh, and it's really awesome to be able to bring you on board the podcast, be able to introduce you to the Undercover Architect community, be able to share more about you and Sanctum Homes and the work that you're doing. You've shared so much knowledge really helpful tips. I know the listeners will have benefited hugely from what they've learned here. And also, of course, uh, the work that you're doing in Builders Declare, we'll continue to keep on sharing that. Make sure listeners that you check out the Sustainable Builders Yak, really good insights into sustainable building. And thank you so much for joining us, Hamish. It's been really, really great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on. And that's it for my conversation with Hamish and my two-part interview series and part two of that conversation uh, with Hamish White from Sanctum Homes. Did you enjoy that? I found it was a really great deep dive into sustainable building, uh, structural insulated panels or SIPs, hempcrete, passive house, high performance homes, building envelopes, must-haves in a sustainable build and so much more. I really do hope that you found it super helpful and it's given you some great ideas for your home wherever you are building or renovating. Hamish was really generous with the information that he shared uh, and if you enjoyed it, please reach out and say hi to him as well and know that you heard him on the podcast. Now, remember you can access a free downloadable PDF transcript of this episode by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 240. That's the numbers 240. You'll also find links there to learn more about Hamish and Sanctum Homes as well as Builders Declare. And I really do encourage you to check out Builders Declare resources. It's not just for builders. Uh, both their YouTube videos and the Sustainable Builders Yak podcast are super helpful if you're wanting to learn more about materials and products, particularly from a builder's point of view. And you can also look through the register of other builders who've signed up to Builders Declare. I've mentioned that before as a really great resource for finding a sustainable builder in your area because those builders have committed to declaring against the uh, climate emergency, climate and biodiversity emergency. So definitely a great place to start if you're looking for a sustainable builder. And if if you're a builder who is interested in uh, learning more about sustainability, Builders Declare is a fantastic resource for you. Now, also in the resources, I've included the link to the post on Instagram that Hamish and I discussed showing the weatherproof membrane that Sanctum use on their roofs. 
and how it performs before the roof cladding goes on. You literally see them pour water across it and see how well it performs. So it's a really different way to think about how we wrap up our homes. Uh, it's quite contrary to what we've done in the past, particularly in Australia. Loads of other countries are doing this though. They're really focusing on those weatherproof membranes, giving you that insurance policy as Hamish described it. So make sure you check that out. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.